We are continuing our series of studies in the book of Jude with the title Contending for the Faith. And uh, this evening's study we can entitle as A Lesson from History. A Lesson from History, Reminders of God's Righteous Condemnation. A Lesson from History, Reminders of God's Righteous Condemnation. We notice in verse 3, we read about how Jude encourages us to contend for the faith, fight for the faith, keep the faith. And the reason being that certain men, ungodly men, have crept in, have crept in and turned the grace of God into licentiousness or lewdness, denying the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he also mentioned over that that their condemnation has already been marked out, long ago marked out for this uh, condemnation. Warren Wesby in his commentary writes, Jude did not write that these men were ordained to become apostates as though God were responsible for their sin. They became apostates because they willfully turned away from the truth. But God did ordain that such people would be judged and condemned. The Old Testament prophets denounced the false prophets of their day, and both Jesus and his apostles pronounced judgment on them. So, what is being spoken of now in verses 5, and 5 to 7 is speaking about judgment that was going to come, which has been foretold in verse 3. They have been marked out for uh, condemnation. But he is now giving us some examples, as it were, okay, in verses 5 to 7. But uh, doing a quick review of verses 3 to 3 and 4, we would ask ourselves this question, who were the apostates? Three possibilities. The first one is the Judaizers, you know, the Judaizers. They were opposed by Paul in Galatia. They advocated the mixing of Old Testament law with New Testament message of grace, okay? They were individuals. They said, okay, if you have become a believer, you still have to keep the law. You still have to be circumcised. You still have to keep all the Old Testament laws. However, when one closely examines the characteristics of the false teachers outlined by Jude, for example, their appetite for fleshly indulgence, they do not seem to fit into the message that has been preached by the Judaizers, which were to be condemned. Okay, so Judaizers, question mark, no, not really, possibility remote. The second possibility of these apostates we mentioned last time was the Gnostics, the Gnostics. Many believe that the Gnosticism first emerged in the late Hellenistic or early imperial period among speculative and syncretic Jews. Okay? Now, what was uh, Gnosticism? Gnosticism was essentially a Greek philosophical belief system that prided itself in having unique, hidden, and superior knowledge about all spiritual matters. In all genuine Gnostic literature, the physical universe is said to have been birthed from the act of an arrogant and powerful subordinate god named Demiurge, who supposedly made a huge mistake by mixing the spiritual and the physical realms together in the act of creation. 
man was created with a spark of divinity, which when fully awakened is supposed to make him completely divine once he sheds his outer shell. This is what Gnosticism is all about. Basically to say that man is essentially divine. Man is essentially spirit, okay? The spirit divine is what resides in him. And the job of the individual is to recognize that. How does he recognize that? Get some superior knowledge, get some hidden knowledge, get some, you know, supernatural wisdom. And if you notice, even Hinduism has certain elements of that, isn't it? To recognize the divine within you. For example, even when a person says namaste or namaskar, basically it means I bow to the divine in you. So Hinduism primarily is speaking about divine in you. And you recognize who you are, that you are divine. And by so doing, you get your moksha or your salvation. That is one of the methods that uh, Hinduism speaks about. You know? But we looked at last time, the possibility of who these apostates could be were the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans sported many of the characteristics of the Gnosticisms, but it encouraged the practice also of physical immorality. How did they come to that conclusion? We looked at last week when they said the spirit is what is important, so body is not important. So what you do with your body doesn't really make a difference. And we remember last week we looked at this where Jesus speaks about them when he addresses the church at Pergamum. And also we find another evidence of the Nicolaitan Gnosticism link is that a woman by the name of Jezebel <coughs> appeared to be the leader of the group in Thyatira, and Christ referenced the error of Balaam in Revelation 2.14 when he speaks to the church at Pergamum, okay, which seems to indicate that the teachings of Balaam and the apostasy being addressed in Jude were linked together. And further evidence of this is seen in the fact that since the 19th century, it has been common to view the name Nicolaitan as a translation into Greek of the Hebrew name Balaam. In other words, just as much as Balaam you know, was a false prophet, so here you find the Nicolaitans were the apostates, came from the Jews, but had these types of practices which said, hey, look here, you, know, you can do whatever you want to in your body. That is how sexual licentiousness you know, was on the increase. <clears throat> so Jude writing you know, this letter says in verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all. The urgency of the reminder, the urgency of the reminder, you know, I think it's the next slide. It says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all. Okay. And here, if you notice, he now gives you three you know, cases or three examples or three proofs you know, to show that God does definitely judge individuals who are these type of people, who have crept in, who have these characteristics. And just as much as he judged them in the past, he is also going to judge them in the future as well. 
So as a result, he says, this is not something new I'm telling you. These are not new incidents I'm talking about. These are examples. You are very much aware of what has happened in the Old Testament. Somebody has said that preaching is not designed to teach us something new in every sermon, but to put us in remembrance to call to mind things that are forgotten. Preaching is not designed to teach us something new in every sermon. Now, when we come together for a Bible study, you listen to a message, not necessary that everything that is spoken of you know, is new to you. Some may be new to you. But a lot of times it would be just to bring back to your remembrance, you know, things that you have forgotten. Sometimes even the very basic things. It's good to remind ourselves. This is why Jude, when he's writing over here, he says, I desire to remind you. Even though you're aware of all this, I'm reminding you again. And even this evening, even though you may be aware of all these things, you know, it is good to remind us. Remind us of what? That God judges his people. Where there is sin, it will definitely be punished. Okay. Now, when you're looking at this verse, verses 5 to 7, you have these couple of questions. Okay. Questions like, how could God destroy people who knew about him? Okay. When he says over there, Another Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So you may have that question, how could God destroy these people who knew him? He brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then how come he destroyed them? Or you could have questions about what are the angels that Jude is talking about? Or what was the sin of the angels? And what do these historical examples have in common? Okay. When will the judgment of the great day take place? What was Sodom's sin? These could be some other questions that you would have or which should arise in your minds when we are looking at these verses, verses 5 to 7 this evening. And if you notice, even in the other verses of Scripture, uh, of uh, this letter, Jude also has different historical references or he brings back to remembrance certain things that have happened in the past, you know, individuals, instances, you know, groups of people, and he uses the same phrase. For example, he says, these people also, speaking in verses 5 to 7, or Michael's constraint with Satan, but these people, Cain, Balaam, and Korah in verse 11, these people again. Verses 14 and 15, Enoch's prediction of judgment, these 17 to 18 apostles, prophecies of false teachers, it is these. In other words, right through this letter, he is now referring back to these people who have crept in and the judgment that is going to come about. So this should be taken in that context, okay? We should not you know, just you know, take a verse out of context, but all that the judgment that is spoken of here is relating to these false teachers who have crept in unawares, who are trying to destroy the faith of the people, the Lord says that this is what I'm reminding you. Just as much as God punished these individuals and these people in the past, in the Old Testament times, similarly, even in the time to come, this is what God will do. So in this section, again, remember we spoke about the triads that Jude uses in this particular letter. You have the apostate Israel, you have the angels, and you have the Gentiles. Gentiles, you have the Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So, 
warnings as to what will await or what awaits human and spiritual beings who reject God. Okay, so let's look at the first one now. The example of unbelieving Israelites despite deliverance from Egypt. And the root problem of that is because they did not believe. The verse says that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed <coughs> those who <coughs> did not believe. If you notice in Exodus chapter 12, we read about how God brought them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, It speaks about it in, in uh, chapter 12. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. This is the group, this is the number, 600,000 men on foot, apart from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them along with flocks and herds and a very large number of livestock. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So the Lord very specifically says, you know, that after 430 years specifically, the Lord brought this huge people, huge group of people, his people, out of the land of Egypt. Okay. But then, what happened? When they came out of the land of Egypt, their hearts were back still in Egypt. Okay, They still did not believe. When they had to go into the promised land, there was so much of hesitancy. As a result, we find in Numbers 14, these verses. Look at the highlighted ones which says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Again, but as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. In this wilderness, they shall all be destroyed and there they will die. So God brought them out of the land of Egypt, yes. But because of their unbelief, because of their constant murmuring, because their hearts were still back in Egypt, they were still grumbling all the time. And as a result, the Lord says, none of these guys who came out of Egypt will enter into the promised land. And all of them died, except, except Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who remained alive out of those men who went out to spy out the land. Why? because they were the only ones who had faith. They were the only ones who believed. Now, this is history. But as George Bernard Shaw says, we learn from history that we learn nothing from history. We learn from history that we learn nothing from history. Instead of looking at what has happened in the past and learning from that, oftentimes people still do not learn. And that's the tragic aspect of humanity. There are so many things that we can learn with what has happened in the past, how, how God dealt with people, but we don't learn. We still want to go through the same problems, the same issues, and then go through the same punishment maybe before we learn anything. This is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, where he says, all these things happened as examples for us 
so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Not grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So the Lord is saying over here, all these things are examples, so that you would learn from them. They were written for our instruction. But sad to say, these guys did not really believe. Now you may have a question, did not believe, how? How did they not believe? Okay, the Lord brought them out of Egypt, isn't it? But how did they not believe? You remember there are so many cases after they brought them out of Egypt. You find that when Moses went up to meet up with God, when he came down, you find that these guys were worshipping the golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They did not believe in what? That they did not believe that God was able to take them through the wilderness, take them into the promised land. They did not really believe that. They were constantly complaining and said, you have brought us to die. That is what they believed. They didn't believe that God had brought them to live. They believed that God had brought them to die. So these people had seen God in action. So their issues was not believing that there was a God, but they did not trust in God. They did not trust in God. Look at Exodus chapter 24. <coughs> Exodus chapter 24. When Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, you know, what do the people say? What do the people say? You know, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. This is what they said. They said we will be obedient. But what happens soon in Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32, the next slide. Now, when the people saw that the Moses that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You know? Just a little while back, they said, We are going to obey. We will do, you know, as the Lord has spoken. We will be obedient. But a little while later, what happens? There is no trust. There is unbelief. And as a result, God said, I'm going to destroy them. Now, you must remember this, that this is God's sinner punishment for an individual who refuses to believe in God, who refuses to trust him in spite of all that God has done. Okay? This is why in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, we find in verses 18 onwards, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. The next slide. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood to what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So the Lord says, okay, the Old Testament guys, they saw the deliverance from the land of Egypt. 
you guys you know you have seen who god is through creation so even though they knew there is a god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their speculations their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise they became fools exchanged the glory of the incorruptible god for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures therefore what did god do therefore god gave them over in their lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies will be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever so the lord says hey <coughs> look at this what happened in the old testament in uh, romans paul writing says hey this is what's happening in today's world even though they know there is a god they don't believe they do their own thing they still live <coughs> by their own standards so what is the lesson that we are learning from here that god will destroy those who refuse to believe and the reason is because of the lack of uh, no, obedience primarily the issue at hand is unbelief unbelief will result in judgment now remember this is not a warning to the readers that they are in danger of judgment but that these ungodly men who have crept in unawares will not escape god's judgment so the issue here is if god judged his own people who came out of egypt who whom the lord saved but because of their unbelief because of their constant murmurings you know if god destroyed them will he not punish will he not destroy these individuals who have crept in unawares they are marked for condemnation that is the first example that jude gives the second example is the example of rebellious angels and the emphasis here is on rejecting authority and reviling angelic majesties angels who did not keep their own dominion if you notice it starts off by saying and angels in other words this is the second illustration this is again the second type of these individuals who have crept in and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day now you must ask ourselves you know who are these angels who did not keep their own domain two possibilities over here first is the host of angels who rebelled against god and followed satan when satan you know, rebelled against god one third of the angelic host followed after him and they were cast out of heaven but this group is unlikely because jude says over here that these angels are kept in eternal bonds in darkness and not free but these angels who have been cast out of heaven satan they are not bound now isn't it and they are still free the second possibility is the sons of god mentioned in uh, genesis chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 where angels in some form or fashion <coughs> send in conjunction with women to produce a race of creatures that appear to herald the flood of noah and this is the possibility of you know who are mentioned over here these angels <coughs> who had intercourse with uh, human beings 
to produce another race as it were. And then the Lord said, okay, you know, the evil is increasing. If men are doing this, if angels are doing this. So he destroyed the whole world with a flood. Now, look at the word that is used there when it says, these angels did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. The word that is used there for abandoned means to depart from a place within the suggestion, with a suggestion of finality, okay? The Greek word apolipo means to depart from a place with the suggestion of finality. And the prefix preposition apo makes the compound verb to mean to leave behind. You have left a place and you have left behind that. In other words, they have left heaven behind. They had abandoned for all time the rightful place in which God had placed them there. And they abandoned it forever. They said it is over. We don't want to be here. And the verb is in the aorist tense, basically, which means which is an act that happened once and for all. This was apostasy with a vengeance. With a, like literally burning the bridges behind them. So this is the group of angels, you know, who when they abandoned their abode, abandoned the purpose that God had created them for, and then had relationships with human beings over here and say, hey, this is more better than to be in heaven. The Lord said, enough is enough. They have departed from this place. They have abandoned this. They don't have any belief. As a result, God said they are going to be punished, okay? Now, again, if you notice in that word, it says they have been kept, okay? They have been kept for judgment. It's the same word that is used to describe the believers who are kept by God for glory. You know, we are preserved by God. Here, they are kept by God in terms of they have been bound by you know, uh, God for punishment, you know, just as much as we have the assurance of our preservation by God, God is also saying over here, these individuals who are creeping in unnoticed, you know, who are trying to take away the faith of the believers, these individuals will also be punished just as much as the angels, you know, were punished by God. They have been reserved for judgment. So similarly, these individuals also would be reserved for judgment. Now, when you think about the judgment of the great day, the judgment of the great day, there are three types of judgment that are mentioned in scripture. First is called as the Bema seat. You know, it's called the Bema seat because at that time, you know, the Bema seat was a place for giving rewards. It was not a court which pronounced a judgment of what was right and wrong, but it was like at the end of the race, you know, this was the, uh, uh, what shall I say, lifted up seat from where rewards will be given. That was called as the Bema seat. So this judgment concerns itself with the believer's rewards, okay? You know, this is not depending on who will be saved and who won't be saved. This is for the giving of rewards. And this happens after the uh, rapture in heaven. Then you have the second judgment, which is the separation of the sheep and the goats. And this judgment concerns itself with the living Jews as well as Gentiles at the end of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, there's a separation that takes place. You know, that's the judgment again that occurs on earth. And then you have the white throne judgment, which is concerning unbelieving humans as well as fallen angels 
and this occurs outside of the earth. So these angels have been kept for this judgment, for the unbelieving group of people that God has reserved. Okay. So as Os Guinness puts it, for some, and uh, this is uh, graph will give you in a, in a graphical manner, you have at the rapture, when as soon as a person you know, is caught up you know, or a person dies, you have the judgment of the believer's works. Then you have the seven-year tribulation. You have the second coming, coming you know, with the saints. You know, and then there's the separation of the sheep and the goats of those individuals who are still there during that tribulation period. Then you have the thousand-year reign of you know, the millennial rule. Then you have the final judgment. And after that, you have the new heaven and the new earth. And as Os Guinness puts it across, that hell is simply a truth realized too late. Hell for some, hell is simply a truth realized too late. There are a lot of people who are living in this world who say, no, God won't punish sinners. God won't you know, punish you know, the people who don't believe in him. There's no such thing as hell. But as he says, for some, it is a truth that will be realized too late. So here Jude is saying, hey, look here, guys, this is true. This is what happened in the Old Testament time. This is what is going to happen also to these people who do not believe. So what is clear about these angels is their condemnation. And God has them in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Remember we said in the first session the similarities between the book of Jude and the book of Second Peter. And in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, we read about this, how they have been cast down to hell, delivered into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So the point that Jude is making here is that even angels are not excluded from judgment. Leave alone these individuals who have crept in these false teachers. The Lord is saying over here through Jude, even angels, if they are not excluded from judgment, you know, then don't worry these people have been marked out for condemnation. But you have to contend for your faith. Make sure that you don't give in to the uh, false teachings of these individuals and lose your faith. Thirdly, you have the third example. This is the example of depravity of uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And here there's an emphasis on defiling the flesh, defiling the flesh, just as, again, remember, similar to three examples that are given, apostate Israelites, you know, you have the angels, and similarly, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing that punishment of eternal fire in the same way as these, okay? That is the important thing that is emphasized over here. So just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, as same way as they merited their punishment for to be burnt, similarly, what is reserved for these individuals have crept in, the condemnation that has been reserved is the hellfire that is will come at the judgment seat, at the judgment day, okay? So, when you're thinking of the word Sodom, its root literally means to burn, and Gomorrah means people of fear. So they had that name, Sodom 
and Gomorrah, you know, to burn and people of fear. So every time we would look back on these individuals, look back on these cases, you know, of how Sodom and Gomorrah were burned down to ashes, you and I should also have that godly reverential fear to recognize that sin will not go unpunished, okay? <laughs> so this verse begins with an adverb of comparison having the meanings of in the same manner or after the fashion of or just as. Here it introduces as a comparison showing a likeness between the angels of verse 6 and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah of this verse. But the likeness between them lies deeper than the fact that both of are guilty of committing sin. Angels had intercourse with human beings. But here, what is happening? Sodom and Gomorrah, they were having wrong interactions and you know, wrong intercourses, men and men, okay? So here it extends to the fact that both were guilty of the same identical sin. The angels went after something they should not have, and so did the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels... They should have remembered that they are angels. They should not have relationships with human beings, but they did that. Sodom and Gomorrah, they should have realized that God has created male and female. You can't have relationships between male and male and female and female, but they did not realize that. They did not obey that. Okay. So when you're thinking of this word, you know, it's like people of uh, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities are around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality. Indulged in gross immorality. The word for indulged is the word ekporneo. Now, as soon as we see that word itself, there must be, should be something that rings a bell, isn't it? Ekporneo. From here again, we have from this root word, the English word, you know, pornography, you know, ekporneo. Basically, it means to indulge in illicit sexual relationships or debauchery, okay? That is what the word meaning of ekporneo is. And the prefixed preposition ek indicates in the usage of the word a lust that gluts itself, satisfies itself completely. And the force of this ek, which itself means out, is you know, out and out. Basically, it means they are out and out debauchery in a, in a individuals who are in a very lewd. They were indulging in out and out in a sexual immorality. It signifies a giving of oneself utterly, completely sexually immoral, is what it reads in the Greek. And when it says over there, strange flesh, it means flesh of a different kind. And here in this case, it is opposite, diametrically opposed, you know. Angels intercourse with women, and here, and that was forbidden flesh, here, if you notice, again, strange flesh, men and women it should be, but here it was men and men, okay. So this word and verse speaks to the fact that God punishes those who practice sin, which is contrary to God's design. That's the and uh, the lesson that we can learn from this third illustration of you know, what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, that God punishes those who practice sin, which is contrary to God's design. God has a design, 
and our job is to follow after that. If a person says, I will do what I want to do, God's judgment will definitely come upon them. And we are living in a world today where people are saying there's no such thing as God's design, isn't it? You know, we, are, we make our own designs, we make our own choices, we do what we want to. And God says there is definitely going to be a, a judgment on this world. So, two points you know, from these you know, verses that we can learn, okay? Especially in Gen Genesis 19 and verse 11, where you read about the men of Sodom called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. The angel struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So here God supernaturally blinded their eyes, okay? But still that made no difference in their lifestyle. Here there were individuals who wanted to have relationships with these angels, you know, and now they considered them as men of, you know, as human beings, as men. They wanted to have relationships, men with men, and God blinded their eyes, but still there was no change whatsoever because they obviously they continued to do their practices and the judgment of God fell upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So two points on these verses. Number one, the sin of Sodom was homosexuality, not unhospitality or rape as some critics would assert, okay? And Jude here is very specifically confirming this fact. There are people who will say that, no, no, Sodom was not known for homosexuality. It was just because, you know, these guys did not allow them to come in. They were not hospitable to them, and you know, that is why, you now God did not judge them. No, no, here they're speaking actually about homosexuality. Secondly, even after they had been supernaturally afflicted, the men of Sodom continued to pursue their sin. This is why John MacArthur says in the next slide, he says, people go to hell sweating. People go to hell sweating. What does he mean by that? They're already doing on the wrong track. They're already immersed in sin. They don't have to get into hell and have to start sweating. They're already so far away from God that the judgment of God is reaching out to them. So here, you know, Jude is saying the example of Sodom and Gomorrah has been exhibited, has been exhibited as an example, has been exhibited as an example. There are some people who will say, no, 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 my God will never hurt anyone. My God will never send anyone to hell. How can a God of love and grace send anybody to hell? That's what some people will say. And as a result, think that they can get away with murder. God won't do anything. God won't send anybody to hell. But the fact is that the real God punishes sin, punishes apostasy, and has given us an example in this particular case of Sodom and Gomorrah to prove his point. Okay? The verb exhibited means sinner to lie exposed. And as it is used in classical writings of food on the table ready for the guests. It is all spread out. It is all put out. Okay? Or of a corpse that is laid out for burial. Basically, it means that it is exposed. Everybody knows you know, that this is what it is. You know, or everybody knows that this is what is going to happen. So exhibited as an example means, you know, if God punish Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them, be sure that God is also going to punish the unbelievers. 
Leonard Ravenel has written an interesting book entitled Sodom Had No Bible. And his contention in that book is if Sodom did not have a Bible and God still punished them for their sin, how much more the world today, where there are so many copies of Bible, but still they do what they want to do. Won't the judgment of God be greater? So Sodom and Gomorrah is an exhibition as an example to say, hey, look here, don't fool with God. Don't say that you know, God won't send anybody to hell. God won't destroy anybody. No, no, it was definitely going to happen. <clears throat> and what is going to happen? They are going to undergo the punishment of eternal fire. The eternal fire. Look at those verses in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9 says, Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. And Second uh, Peter 2.6 says, If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. So this is the open exhibition of judgment that God showed on the uh, people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what is going to happen to these false teachers who have crept in? What is the punishment that God has reserved for them? They are going to undergo the punishment of eternal fire. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 49 to 50 says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the end of the age, the Lord says, this is what is going to happen. Right now they have crept in and maybe some people are deceived. They don't even know who these guys are. But the Lord is saying, no, I'm keeping track. At the end of it all, at the end of the age, you know, the angels will come forth, take out the wicked from among the righteous and throw these wicked people into the furnace of fire, which is the sentence of hell. Matthew 23 and 33 says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? So what final application can we make from these examples? From these examples of the apostate Israelites, the angels, and the Gentiles, what can we learn? Couple of concluding thoughts. Number one, it doesn't matter whether you are spiritually created beings, that is angels, a nation hand-chosen by God, that is the Israelites, or a society or a culture that lives in a sinful way without regard for God's presence. Simple principle, those who reject God will in turn be rejected and judged by Him. No matter whoever you are, whether you are you know, hand-chosen by God, created beings or the culture that we are living in. God is very clear. Those who reject God will in turn be rejected and judged by him. Secondly, the certainty of God's judgment has been demonstrated by examples set forth in historic space and time. Okay, These are examples that have already happened so that we know that this is true, You know that we can learn from them. Any rejection of them disregards the truth and reality of God's word. Thirdly, we need to respond to the reality of these examples with evangelism and a desire to share the truth with those who do not know God so that they will understand their wrong living and turn to God for forgiveness, experience his love, 
and avoid his wrath. What is our responsibility in this whole scenario? Knowing that this is the punishment that awaits those people who don't believe in him, we must be willing to go and reach out to the world around us who are living their own life, thinking they don't need God. We must share with them with these historical examples and with the truth of God's word that this is what they can expect in the future. The story is told of Charlie Peace, you know, who was a notorious English criminal who lived in the 1800s. When he was being taken to the gallows, a priest followed him and read to him about heaven and hell. And when the priest began talking about hell, Peace asked him, are you talking about hell? The priest responded, yes. Peace then said, let me tell you something. I'm about to be hanged right now. And if I believed one-tenth of what you said, I will crawl across England on my hands and knees on broken glass if I could just save one person from this hell that you so glibly talk about. Now, this is a truth that we must be confronted with even this evening. This is the reality, heaven and hell. A person who does not respond to God, the scripture is very clear, they go to hell. These individuals, false teachers, the Lord says, they have been condemned for hell. Now, what will be our responsibility? Will we be doing anything to prevent them from going to hell? Like C.T. Studd said, you know, some people like to live within uh, uh, the sound of the chapel bells, but I would rather put my you know, home, a yard within the gates of hell. What he was really saying is, I don't want to sit around with people who are all believers and saying we are on our way to heaven. But I want to be so close, you know, so that you know, anybody who is on the wrong track, I'll be able to pull them out. That is what Jude is saying over here. He's saying we must contend for the faith. We must fight for the faith. We must make sure that we want these individuals so that they know where they are headed for. A.W. Toza made this statement, the wheels of God's judgment may grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. They grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So this evening we must ask ourselves, what are we really sowing? What are we sowing? Are we really living lives of trust and faith and belief? Or have we started out well and now just taken it very lightly? Let's look at some of these uh, application questions which would enable us to examine our faith. Number one, are you trusting in the security of a past experience? Are you trusting in the security of a past experience? The Lord had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. This was something that had happened in the past. They had an incredible past. They had a marvelous you know, legacy. But the issue was, were they trusting God for the present? In the present, they forgot to trust God. They were only murmuring against God, isn't it? Okay. And so the issue for them and the issue for us today is this. Are you trusting God today? Are you trusting God now? Not once does the word of God tell us to look back to a past experience for our security. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Okay, Examine yourselves. He didn't write to the Corinthian church and say, hey, you guys are all believers. No, he says, you know, 
You know, examine yourselves, make sure, make your calling and election sure. Don't just think about, you know, I said a prayer, I raised my hand on the basis of that. Now everything is okay. I can do whatever I want to now. I'm going to go to heaven. Is your trust in the security of a past experience? Right now, today, are you trusting Christ? You know, that is the question. Secondly, are you trusting in the security of a future expectation? Of a future expectation. The scripture tells us over here, you know, afterwards, that is subsequently, even though the Lord had saved you know, these people out of Egypt, the Lord destroyed them, wiped them out. Why? Because they did not believe. These people who had seen God do so much were now in unbelief. And they were saying, no, God cannot really do this. And as a result, you know, every person 20 years and under died. So the question we must ask ourselves is, you know, have we taken our future for granted? A lot of times we say, I made a commitment, I accepted Jesus into my life, so as a result, my future is secure, it is safe. So whatever I do today, you know, no problem, God will somehow take me through. No, uh, you know, we must be careful. You know, we must not say, he saved me in the past, he'll take me to the heaven in the future. But right now I'm having issues, I'm having problems, you know. I'm not doing what God really expects me to do. Or maybe you're saying, God is not doing what you know, I expect him to do, so I will take over, you know, I will make my own plans. And then later on, maybe, you know, since I've made a commitment, I know I'm going to go to heaven. No, no, no. You know, we must ask ourselves, today, are you continuing to trust God? Remember, unbelief is what destroyed the Hebrew people. Unbelief in the providence and the goodness of God describes these apostates, you know. And remember, today also the danger is the same, unbelief. Are you living in trust today? That's the question. Thirdly, do you ex uh, accept God's uh, plan for your life? Do you accept God's plan for your life? Remember, these angels were not satisfied with God's plan for them. They were convinced that there was something better and God's way was not the best way. So that's why they had relationships with human beings, okay? So through self-deception, men like these angels rationalize their lust for position, for power, for prestige, and for possessions. With an inflated sense of self-worth and importance, they cannot trust in the providence of God and rest in His plan. The question would be, are you content with and confident that God knows what he is doing in your life? Or is your heart gripped by a spirit of rebellion, especially if you suspect that what God has for you is not what you want for yourself? Do you accept God's plan for your life? Or are you upset you know, and say, I will do my own thing? That's what these angels did and God punished them. Fourthly, do you respect God's power over you? Do you respect God's power over you? Not content with heaven, these angels got hell. It is absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? They would not keep their home in heaven, so God keeps their home in hell. Now, what are you trading for? You know, what are you trading for? Are you trading the pleasures of this world you know, for what God has in store for you? Accept His plan for your life. Respect His power over your life, you know. Are you submitting yourself to God in whatever He has in store for you? Or are you living a life of 
unbelief, no trust. Fifthly, from the examples of Sodom and Gomorrah, sexual perversion can consume you. As a result, you must stay away from it. The Bible is very clear that any sexual activity, whether heterosexual or homosexual, outside the marriage covenant between a man and a woman is sin. Jesus himself said that man and woman in marriage become one flesh. You know? And this is one area that if you're not careful, it can lead you away from God. And finally, number six, eternal punishment can claim you. Know the consequences. The cities of the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah are a perpetual reminder that sin is serious to God and that God will judge it. Sin is serious to God and that God will definitely judge it. People today want God without rules. They want God without responsibilities. They want God without obligation. They want Christianity without any commitment. They want the benefits of Christ and salvation without the cost of discipleship. It does not work out like that. If we want God, then we have to follow the rules. We have to be responsible individuals. We must be committed to trust him daily, be a disciple, leave everything and follow him. Now, we may be like the original recipients of Jude's letter, well acquainted with these events. You know? We may say, yes, I know all about all this. It's nothing new to me. But Jude wanted to remind them. And today also we need to be reminded. What do we remember? Remember again these three things. Remember Israel as an example of those who were destroyed for lack of faith. Remember the angels who sinned as an example of those uh, in incarceration that tells us that God has a place prepared for the wicked. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah as an example that God will not withhold the vengeance of eternal fire when the time is right. Three examples happened in history. Assurances that you cannot fool with God assurances that God punishes sin. And as a result, whether it's in our own lives or when you're looking at these individuals who have crept in, be careful. That is their punishment. You know, you don't fall in and get yourself punished too in the bargain. Remember these things. Remind yourself these things. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Let's bow our heads and pray together.